Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. We are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 247, the August 1989 issue, on sale April 18th of 1989. Cover price is a dollar. This one's titled, The Light That Failed. Because the last one was called The Day of Other Lights. So Hmm. I, I don't know what's going on here. On the cover of this issue, it proclaims, Witness the fearful fate of an X-Man, trademark. What price victory? And it is kind of a phoned-in cover. I really like this cover. Definitely not because of the color choices. That's what I think is phoned-in. Like, everything else is is great, right? So the cover is Dazzler's hanging on to a light post, keeping uh, Havoc back as he's grabbing on to Rogue, who's being pulled into the Siege Perilous by Master Mold, who's inside, like, trying to claw his way out. Exactly. A bunch of I smoke. Love all that stuff you just described, it tells a story. Totally. No, I I, I really... And it's it's uh, uh, Sylvestrian green, so, like, the art is great. But the colors, it's uh, red, pink, and purple. <laughs> And white. If not for the colors, I, I dare say this is the best Sylvester Green cover so far. I really, I guess, I wonder, would it be better if the X-Men and Master Mold were like fully colored and the background was this kind of muted pink and purple or vice versa? I don't know. Or if everything was fully colored and it actually looked like art. I should I'd say. like to what? see uh, somebody do that. <laughs> yeah. Could somebody recolor this for us? And a couple of different uh, choices, full color on the heroes, full color on the background, and full color on everything. Did you mention that Rogue is wearing her Carol Danvers Miss Marvel outfit? I did not. But yeah, there's a, definitely a story there, right? So it's a nice all, touch. All sorts of stories going on on this cover. The Siege Perilous is gigantic again. It is. It. I mean, this kind of gives away like the issue, though. I mean, not all elements of the issue, but... You pretty much know what's going to, like, Master Mold and Rogue are probably going to be either pulled into the Siege Perilous or are going to be in danger of being pulled into the Siege Perilous. Or, like most covers, this has nothing to do with the issue. Right. (laughs) I suppose if you're buying it on the newsstand, you don't actually crack it open. It could be anything. I've always felt like the covers are just to pull you in, but very rarely. Although, I mean, sometimes they do have stuff to do with it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We're both right. Uh, Anyway, yeah, it's a good cover. So, yeah, uh, this thing is written by Chris Claremont, uh, penciled by Mark Silvestri, inked by Dan Green. Tom Orzakowski is the letter. Glynis Oliver is the colorist. And Bob Harris is the editor. Uh, And Tom DeFalco is the foreman. The George position. The George foreman. The George foreman grill. Mm -hmm. Look at that fat dripping off that meat. That's the best way to do it. That's Tom DeFalco. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, rock me, Tom DeFalco. Mito Tommy DeFalco. <laughs> That's what I call him. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, as we open this up, the X, well, when we last left our hero, it was just Rogue and Psylocke fending off Master Mold while Senator Kelly and his wife, Sharon, Sharon Kelly? Uh, not yet, I don't think. Maybe. Oh, yeah, they had just gotten married. Yeah. So, yes, you're right. So, Sharon Kelly. Yeah, she, uh, 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 Daz, Master Mold was going in for the kill of Rogue, and this issue opens up with the X-Men are here, so. And the caption says, 
when uh, the Master Mold is about to deliver a death blow to the X-Men Rogue, when literally out of nowhere. So basically the caption says what you just said. Yep. It kind of reminds me... Less excitedly. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, an old TV show or movie cliffhanger where like the bad thing is about to happen, but the next episode or the next movie starts with the dangers a little less subdued. This is a bad precedent to set up <laughs> because now every time there's a cliffhanger, the X-Men can just show up because of gateway. Yeah. Yeah. And Presumably. that's, a, that's actually, you know, that's absolutely what happens. Right. And they even comment on it. Like we heard the psychic call. It was so loud. And then gateway just teleported us in the nick of time. Look, it's a robot. <laughs> looks like a sentinel. What's a sentinel? It looks like a sentinel. And so we get a little backstory there. You know, robot hunter killers, long shot, programmed to exterminate mutant kind. And we get a view from Master Mold. And, and as we established last issue, it's a Master Mold Nimrod hybrid. Right. So Master mm -hmm. Mold absorbed Nimrod. Mm -hmm. And the vision that uh, Master Mold has uh, is of a bunch of pixelated figures. And he doesn't know or recognize who they are. And this is not supposed to be representing Atari. <laughs> this is, in fact, to be supposed to be representing the fact that the Sentinel slash Nimrod slash Master Mold can't identify the X-Men because of all the all the stuff that What's-Her-Name did. Yeah, and I feel like there's an internal struggle going on between Nimrod and Master Mold that I feel like should have been brought more front and, and center. Yeah, that there is, and it doesn't really start until halfway through the issue. So, right, and then, and so rereading it, uh, there's this box here that says that the continuing ongoing synthesis of prime human master mold and subordinate sentinel identifies code effects, Nimrod, host unit Nimrod resisting systems integration, but then they don't talk about any of that until midway through the issue, and then I think at the very end of the issue. I would have liked more, because I think what's happening here is Nimrod is alive, Spoilers, I guess. Master Mold is a full-on robot, and the well, integration of the two of them is causing an evolution. And Master Mold is trying to resist Nimrod, I think. There's a reason that they don't do what they do later and now, and I'll and I'll point it out when we get there. Okay. Or I could just tell you. <laughs> well, you could save it, but what I would have liked to have seen is just a little bit more dialogue of the back and forth. And then the full integration and then what happens ultimately at the end of the issue, if that works with what you were going to say. Basically it has to do with the fact that the Sentinel can't see the X-Men. Well, right. And I think that again, having read ahead and then reading back master mold would not be able to see these X-Men, but Nimrod possibly would be able to see these X-Men. Yes. And I think that's why they do it this way. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen that internal struggle a little bit more on the front so that when you get to the end, I don't know, more payoff. Perhaps. I, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I also, I also get why they did what they did. So when I was a kid, uh, you know, I had this issue and I've read this issue multiple times. I feel like uh, as an adult, I finally understand what has happened and why it's happened. <laughs> what did you think as a kid? I don't know. I just thought like robots. I, I missed the whole fact that Nimrod and Master Mold were one. Did you know what Sentinels were? 
Well, yeah, I knew what Sentinels were. I knew what Master Gold okay. was too. And I knew what Nimrod, mm-hmm. I knew what all of them were, but I missed, like, there's only, uh, out of these two issues, I think there's maybe four mentions of Nimrod. So you think, so you thought Master Mold killed Nimrod? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I was thinking upon the last reread of the last issue too, until I kind of thought about it and I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I just, so my point is I would have liked to have seen that just a little bit more uh, beaten upon our heads that this is what's happening. But anyways, here we are. Uh, he he says that the unit is unable to establish a positive contact with hostile life forms. And uh, as such, he is what froze, more or less frozen in place. Well, he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't see anything to do anything to. Right. So he's just trying to figure out what to do. He, uh, the, the robotic logic is if something strikes you and there's nothing there, uh, you don't strike at the air where it was. You just wait until you can see whatever it was, but now there's nothing. So he's, he's just confused. Yep. No, I get you. Uh, and storm figures it out and she's like, we're invisible to all forms of electronic detection. The Sentinel can attack what he can't see. Of course. (laughs) And... They wonder why it was able to attack Rogue. Uh, also, yeah, never gets explained. No, not really. Uh, I guess he got lucky. Well, <laughs> in fact, that's what Rogue says. Sucker probably just got lucky. And uh, this is where it is established that uh, Carol, who was the embodiment of Rogue's body last issue, is now knocked out and Rogue is in control of her own body. Chris Claremont retconned himself one issue later. <laughs> and, uh, well, what do you mean? Well, last issue, I mean, it didn't, there didn't seem to be any, uh, you know, inability to see Rogue. Mm. In fact, the last panel is the, is Rogue in the targets of the Sentinel or the Master Mold. Yeah, yeah I suppose that's true. So... Maybe he had some more Nimrod in him back then. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Let's just chalk it up to that. Okay. Senator Kelly calls out and he's like, please, whoever you are, my wife needs help. And Psylocke comes up and she's like, uh, ooh, I can <laughs> ease her passing so that it, it's quick and without pain. Senator Kelly is not happy with that answer. You're a mutant. You have powers. There must be something. Please, I beg you. Now, to be fair, Storm could fly Sharon to a hospital. It's a great point. So could Rogue. Yeah. Even faster than Storm. Uh, oh, and, and then all of them, actually Psylocke, Storm, and Rogue could go. Psylocke could keep her calm, uh, keep her, her heart beating kind of at a regular pace so that she's not panicking. Storm could fly them all or Rogue could fly them all. Drop him off at the emergency room. This is a senator's wife. Do whatever you can do. And I'm not even saying that's what they should do because there is a giant robot happening right now. But that's true. Psylocke doesn't even like, she's just like, no, there's nothing I can do. She is dying, Senator. I cannot save her. Not only am I a telepath, but I'm a doctor. And I know that she is beyond saving. And he says, curse you, which is fair because like, you know. Like I just pointed out, they probably could do something. Well, not only does he say... Fighting the robot. Not only does he say curse you, he slaps her across the face, knocks her backward. That's that's a bit aggressive. It's a little aggressive, but I mean, he's emotional. His wife is dying. Yeah. Uh, Although, on the other hand, he doesn't do much either. 
He just kind of sits there. Well, their car was destroyed, so it's not like he can drive anywhere. And with these um, backgrounds that have no detail, we really don't know where they are. <laughs> well, he could. Let's say let's say he could carry the body, or if if he doesn't feel safe, car- like comfortable carrying the body, he could say, "Can one of you watch her?" I'm going to go find a car. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You, the big steel guy, can you just make sure nothing falls on her? You, the uh, the alien guy with the hair who it clearly isn't doing any, anything. <laughs> just watch over her. I'll be right back. It's a team effort. And then maybe Longshot could show up and like with some sort of luck, she'd live. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He could just start randomly bandaging her up and somehow do the lucky thing that saves her life. I think the X-Men are prejudiced against the fact that he is Robert Kelly. I think the X-Men wanted Sharon to die. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't go that far, but yes. (laughs) I would go as far as to say as they planted Master Mold here just so that Master Mold would come alive and kill Sharon. They hate Sharon so much. That is dark. Does does Master Mold have anything to do with what uh, Shaw and Robert Kelly were talking about? They were, they were talking about some sort of Sentinel program last issue. Did it have anything to do with Master Mold? I can't remember. I So I feel like yes, but this Master Mold is the Master Mold that was created by Larry Trask. Right. And uh, has the ability to regenerate. And this is the same one that uh, Iceman and the Hulk fought in space. Or was it just Hulk? Do you remember when... Master yeah, it, Mold. Was a, it was a it was a Hulk annual, and Iceman and Bobby were there. I, Iceman and Beast, rather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that same one. It's the same one that uh, Cyclops Cyclops fought in Alaska. It's the same one that uh, the Power Pack fought. I think at the same construction site that they're at. Um, but what's my point? My point is is that uh, uh, I think they're going to inadvertently create Nimrod. Okay, so what they're talking about doing is creating essentially Nimrod, a sentinel that becomes Nimrod, and now Master Mold has essentially absorbed Nimrod. Yes, but Master but, Mold has already always had regenerative abilities, and that's what they were talking about in their little meeting. Yeah, so Robert Kelly should at the very least be like, wait a minute. Uh, he Yes, and it's <laughs> even more exemplified, I feel like, at the end of this issue where he should be like, Wow, this is probably, I hate mutants, but this whole <laughs> regenerating Sentinel thing's probably a bad idea. But then, yeah. then you talk, I mean, I guess we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but then there's the paradox that if Shaw and Kelly create Nimrod and Nimrod comes back in time to absorb with, uh, with Master Mold here, Robert Kelly really is the one who's responsible for his own wife's death. That's what I'm getting at, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no way he's going to connect those dots, but no, no, he should at least see some similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Maybe, you know, he's a man. He's probably so proud. He's like, we'll not, we won't make those mistakes. Ugh. See? <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Master Mold gets up and says that the fulfillment of the prime directive mandates this unit's survi- survival and decides Classes. that he decides that, uh, the people he's fighting must have some sort of a cloaking field. So what is he going to do? He never really says. He I don't just know. says, I, I can't fight them. <laughs> yeah, this unit cannot effectively combat them. So my guess is that he was planning to leave, but he doesn't really say so. Uh, the X-Men, starting with Colossus, start attacking him. 
Colossus grabs a giant girder and essentially swipes it through Master Mold's foot, um, damaging pretty badly. Dazzler blasts off his hand. His hand goes flying off. Havoc cuts loose, thinking to himself, it feels so good to cut loose, and blows off his other arm. Master Mold's taking a beating. Colossus uh, is thrown by a storm in a fastball special into Master Mold's chest. And as he gets to his chest, he just starts ripping out cords and cables and other bits of metal. They're very, they're very uh, cautious to explain that this is Storm's variation of the fastball special for those nerds out there. In this one, she's using a hurricane-forced wind to hurl you on your way. That's not to be confused with when Colossus picks up Wolverine and throws him. Good. That's good. that's the original fastball special. Fair point. Fair point. Not to be confused with the Danger Room exclusive drink, the fastball special, which is whiskey plus vodka plus some sort of Coca-Cola plus ice with a chaser of maple syrup if you want it. Whiskey and – oh, yeah, because of the Russian and the Canadian. Sure, Canadian sure. Canadian whiskey. Yeah, well, duh. Uh, and that's when Psylocke comes in and telepathically tells Colossus to move out of the way because Storm's going to do a thing. And uh, yeah. she blasts Master Mold with a lightning blast. And Master Mold is done, taken taken out. Doom doom. Was not that challenging. Mm, I was wrong. Uh, Havok says Master Mold was Bolivar Trask's original Sentinel Matrix, supposedly destroyed by the original X-Men. So not Larry Trask. Uh, Havoc is well read on the files, apparently. Oh, well, absolutely. He showed up like three days later. Old baddies are like us, sugar. They never die. This one, he had a royal bug about a bunch of mutants called the Twelve. Dazzler says, give you a big guess who that refers to. And Storm catches a drift and says, you mean us? There's 12 of us? <laughs> but why? The world believes us X-Men to be dead. There's not 12 X-Men. I don't know what she's talking about, but I like, is this like, it's just... Chris Claremont throwing a throwing a loop out there to like like a like a red herring. I don't. The twelve has been mentioned in the past. Uh, yeah, I don't know who the twelve are. Well, we we have we know some of the twelve. We know that Franklin is one of the twelve. We how, assume that Cyclops is one of the twelve. How do we how do we know though that? Uh, because every so often they show pictures of the 12 whenever Master Mold talks about the 12. And oh, we kind that's of right. have been able to determine through those images that a few of our known people are uh, the 12. I, and I would agree that the only two that I can remember are Franklin and Cyclops. Dazzler, definitely not a member of the 12. Don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I don't really, I don't know if this 12 story ever comes to a head. Maybe it does. It probably does. I think it does. Well, I don't know this for sure, but I know well after the Chris Claremont run, there is a there is a cover mm-hmm. of an Uncanny X-Men issue that I have not read that says something like The Secret of the Twelve. So somebody in the 90s went back and said, hey, this 12 thing never got resolved. I'm going to finish it. Sure. It's hopefully not terrible. I bet it's terrible. The 90s was pretty much as a safe bet that it's terrible. But I bet there's some gems out there. Yeah. The 90s can't be all bad. Thank goodness we're a long ways away from the 90s. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, they're all high-fiving each other. Um, Longshot's all sad because he's like, I didn't 
I was useless. Yeah, this is kind of out of nowhere. I, it's like, when is when is the long shot gloomy? Suppose, uh, let's see. So Dazzler's like, well, this was for the heavies, but next time we're going to need stealth. You know, we're, uh, we're a team. We balance each other out. You silly goose. Suppose a piece doesn't fit. Where is this coming from? Does anybody say puzzle? Nobody says puzzle. Suppose a piece doesn't fit. <laughs> into the balance, uh, maybe? Yeah, I guess into the balance. Okay. A piece of a piece of the team. A but, piece of pie. Ah! But you do, so there's no problem. So yeah. at my recollection. I probably should have gone over to help that lady over there. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I think is she still alive or is she no, I think she's dead now. No, she she's still alive. Is she? she still has dialogue yet uh, to come. Yes. So spoilers. At this point they've they've killed the robot and they're all high fiving each other and they're like, Dazzler, where's your qu- or, uh, rogue? What's up with your costume? <laughs> I like that costume. I don't. And there's a woman that they're ignoring and a man yes. grieving because and of this eventually rope. they get around, you know, after they settle their own business, they're like, uh, yeah, we've already done too much. Let's not try to help them. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let that woman die. I do like Colossus's reaction to uh, rogue's costume. I, I, I feel like it's rogue. That is a new costume. <laughs> I am good with observance. <laughs> so going back to long shot there, will come a time when Longshot won't be here anymore, and I don't remember why. Uh, Jim Lee. <laughs> no, it's... Oh, maybe. Yeah, it might be when Jim Lee and Chris Claremont are on the book. But I, but, feel, I, but I don't know. I feel like he just, like, walks away one day. There, there was a, there's, a, there's a graphic novel that just came out called Shattershot. Mm. And that's well after, again, in the 90s. Say, mm. say the early to mid-90s. And it's a four-part annual story, so you know that's going to be good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember Shattershot. And I think that's maybe maybe, maybe the last time we see Longshot for a while. Although he does disappear in Claremont's run for a while, too. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I re- remember him disappearing out of the Claremont run and then seeing a teaser full-page spread in one of the X-Men issues that Jim Lee was writing and drawing. And Most then, of which never come to fruition. Yeah, and then he was at Image Two Issues later. Yeah, <laughs> look at all these things I'm gonna do. Bye. <laughs> ah, good times. Psych. Uh I was. Uh, I don't. I'm not gonna be able to remember the story by by the time we get there. But there, there's a. Oh, I I might remember it. There's a little 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 tangent here since we're tangented in the issue there on Amazon Prime is a 90 minute documentary called Chris Claremont's The X-Men I I saw that I haven't watched it though and it's interesting it's got uh Louise Simonson Chris Claremont um uh, who's the other prominent woman at Marvel and Nascenti and Nascenti yes yep, so those three and I got this weird bohemian feel from those three like 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 they were in Greenwich Village and they were all sharing each other. I just got this vibe. <laughs> They're like, we're creative and we love each other. But anyways, it was outside of that vibe that I was getting from their relationship. Uh, they talked about, you know, kind of the transition from the old X-Men to Chris Claremont's X-Men to the birth of uh, Eric Larson and Jim Lee and how that relationship worked. Uh, I believe... Anne Nascenti and Louise Simonson were very vocal 
that they did not like what was happening. And Chris Claremont was like, yeah, well, things were okay. He was very diplomatic about the whole thing. But apparently there was some drama. That's interesting because I've read in that Marvel Comics uh, book that we bring up sometimes mm-hmm. uh, that I think both Louise and Anne talked Chris out of like craziness a couple times, like in the sense that he was like, well, why are they doing this? So maybe by the time you get to the nineties, he's just like, whatever. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And they also, there's so other, excuse me. There's other interesting things about how the mutant massacre came to fruition. And, and one of the things you said was it was too long. Yeah. Uh, Chris Claremont had the idea of like, well, I have all these mutants. I want to kill them. So I want to do this thing called the mutant massacre. And one of them, Anna sent here, Louise Simonson, was like, ooh, that's too big for one book. Let's put it in a bunch of books, and we'll have kind of like this big spiderweb story. And they all thought that was cool. And apparently it sold so well that uh, uh, Jim Shooter was like, we got to do this every year. Yeah. And that's where Mutant <laughs> Massacre and Inferno and et cetera came from. So it's kind of, they accidentally created kind of, and they, they apparently they were not too keen on the summer crossovers. Oh, because it just keeps getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and you have to include more and more books and it's more challenging to like have any meaning behind it. And then the odd thing was um, um, uh, what uh, Rob Liefeld was in it for just a little bit, not with them. So they would cut away to like various offices and stuff, you know, as you do in a documentary. And uh, he was he was kind of a jerk. He was like. <laughs> Yeah, then there was these guys on the X-Men who'd been on it for like 20 years and it was just getting old and stale and he's, he came off as kind of a jerk. Yeah, he kind of does. I saw him I saw him speak live and he, he it was the same sort of thing. It was like, yeah, when I came on to Hawk and Dove, which is like a DC book where I think he got his start maybe. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, they, they, it was going nowhere. And then I showed up and then and then I came on to the New Mutants and that was going nowhere. And then I showed up and changed everything. And it's, it's maybe it's sort of true, but I think he's kind of grandstanding the actual events to this amazingness that he perceives it as. Yeah, well, he, he also was like, yeah, they'd been on the book for so long that then they had the girls go to the mall and the guys go to a bar? And I was like, wait, you drew the guys going to the bar issue. <laughs> That's why he remembers it. That was your issue. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so what was my point? My point is, is oh, uh, they, yeah, the, the um, whoever the editor was at the time was really, I don't know if it was Tom DeFalco or who it was, uh, was really like, yeah, Jim, get him. Jim, Sh- or, uh, Jim Lee, this is yours. You want this. You need to freshen it up. Sell more books. And then they ultimately ended up pushing Chris Claremont out. So all the stuff that I've read about Chris Claremont being angry is usually during the Jim Shooter years. So maybe by the time, like Tom DeFalco is like two, two editor-in-chiefs later, right? Oh, so maybe he was just like, whatever. At that point, he was just like, this is happening. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, they definitely talked about like the whole Gene Gray stuff and uh, oh, the, the other interesting thing that they brought up, which I think we've talked about or maybe even speculated about, was that uh, Chris Claremont's idea was like, X-Men were just going to come and go. Like Cyclops, when they wrote him out of the book, like that was it. He was going to go off and, and he was retired and he was just going to live with Madeline. And his story was done and new X-Men would come in and over time some X-Men would die or some X-Men would leave or become bad. And that he, he wanted to constantly evolve the team and the mutant universe 
so that it wasn't just the same people over and over and over and over again. That is a fundamental misunderstanding of what people expect from comic books. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a great idea and that comic books should do it. Um, yeah, I suppose you do what sells, right? And what sells is having the original X-Men come back. Yeah, what sells is characters that you know and love yep. doing things over and over and over again. Like what what happened? Like you read the uh, that that Robert Kirkman thing, the superhero guy, Invincible. Yeah, it. So pe- they, people kind of came and went in that, and they never really came back. And then eventually, it just ended. Yeah, I guess did did it. I feel like in the beginning it was very popular, and then it slowly dwindled away until nobody was talking about it anymore. Invincible got out of hand, in my opinion. <laughs> like it started off super strong, like character driven you really got to like these characters and yeah it was like surprising when a superhero like died and you saw that character die and then robert kirkman in the editorial page would be like this character's dead and they're not coming back (laughs) right and that's kind of robert kirkman's shtick right which is fine it's admirable i like it uh but after you get past some of that shock value and then like i guess you're right like after all of your favorite characters die you're like, well, which is kind of what happened to me with the Walking Dead comics. Like, I don't know who any of these characters are because so many new characters were introduced and all your favorite characters that had had, you know, issues upon issues upon issues of development were dead. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, Invincible got out of hand and then they kept, you know, doing like bigger and bigger things to where, I don't know, it was just ridiculous. And then it ended, which was fine. I only made it maybe 40 50, 60 issues in. It got so bad that like Invincible left Earth and went to a different planet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was fine. I mean, they needed to do fresh things. and That sounds like it could be interesting. Yeah, it, it was. But anyways, uh, we should get back to this X-Men comic book. Oh, yeah. X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in Australia now and we're catching up on what Jubilee is doing as she says very loudly, boring. <laughs> Which is probably a response to all the stuff that we were just talking about. <laughs> just, she's literally listening to us. <laughs> I am so very bored, she says, like no teenager would actually say. <laughs> I feel so totally stupid. <laughs> this town is the ultimate dud. And she's looking for something to do. She's got a cool shirt. I really like her shirt. So she kind of explores. She finds Dazzler's recording studio. Where did she get all this money? There's like eight keyboards, reel-to-reels, microphones. Professor Xavier's stipend. Can she play all these instruments? Plus all the gold in the basement. Oh, man. I wish. Oh, maybe that's what it is. I wish there was a issue of the X-Men where all of the X-Men played an instrument. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the back of the issue, there would be like one of those removable vinyl singles. There, there is a Dazzler single that, or record that, uh, Jubilee picks up mm-hmm. and she says, who's Dazzler? Geez. She's singing with Layla, Lila Shanae, She must be ancient. <laughs> Music for old fogies, you know, in their twenties at least. Which reminds me of all of that Spider-Man dialogue. Remember that old movie from 1977? Star Wars? Yeah. He does that in at least twice. Does he? In, in those Avengers movies. Oh, Remember the big guys with the legs? Oh, the yeah. movie where he wrapped up the legs and knocked thing. I don't remember. Making us feel old, Spider-Man. Stop it. <laughs> uh, and then she sees the picture of the X-Men. 
Uh, she sees her hanging off a long shot, and she's like, cute guy. At least she's got taste in that department. Okay, I'll, like, bite. Who are the X-Men? I don't get it. The folks I followed here were, like, all gals. So how come they call themselves X-Men unless, ew, totally gross. Holy moly. (laughs) So then she sees a closet full of glamorous clothing, and she goes in there to, I don't know, maybe try some on. But then she realizes that Gateway is staring at her, it seems like. She doesn't mention the Gateway said something to her. Nope. (laughs) I don't think that that actually happened. (laughs) It happened. Eh, It's canon. Yeah, I don't know. He said something like, hey, what's up? He said, uh, welcome, child. And so she runs away. And she runs away because she's not bored anymore. She's staring skipped, but she does steal a dress. I thought she already went through their clothes. Yeah. She, didn't she come up with like the costume? Is this for people that didn't read the annual? Oh, maybe. Probably. It is more okay. or less a rehashing of that annual story. Yeah. Okay. So we, we turn our attention back to the dying Sharon. Kelly and the X-Men Kelly. are still just kind of standing there staring. Yeah, I, I, yeah I asked if, only we, if only we had that Morlock healer guy with us. He could totally like heal him. Yeah, it's too bad. We just can't do anything. We're just going to watch. Well, somebody says, uh, Storm says, his powers only work on other mutants. She's only human, Peter. I estimate that they've probably just been standing in this exact same pose watching Sharon die for like 30 minutes. I think it's been an hour. <laughs> She does get more dialogue. She's like, Robert, Robert, the robot is not destroyed. Warn long shot, Long shot's like tapping on his watch. When's Gateway going to send us back? This is getting awkward. <laughs> Do you think Gateway knows something we don't know? <laughs> uh, uh, Senator Kelly's like, he, she's not listening. He's like, uh, don't say that. You're going to live. You've got to. This is their Robert. fault. And she notices that uh, some of the damaged pieces of master mold are starting to uh, shoot electronics out. And she says, Robert, Robert, not destroyed. Warn them. And he sees it too, I think, and says, this is their fault. She says, please. And then he says, it's no less than they deserve. And that's when master mold. She says, Robert, you're kind of a jerk. (laughs) I want a divorce. (laughs) Uh, Master mold springs up and now he, uh, it says, synthesis integration with subordinate host unit Nimrod complete. Sensors now acquiring host mutant targets. And now he can see the mutants pretty clearly. But they don't know that. So Havoc blasts at him. Guess some bozos have to learn the hard way when they're beat. And uh, Master Mold pulls up a invisible fusion plasma shield that blocks and ricochets the blast back towards Havoc, spreading the X-Men apart and putting a hole in the floor. And Dazzler falls down the hole. Ah, it's not like before. He saw it coming. I don't think we're cloaked to him anymore. Allison, she's fallen down the crater. Hey, there's something I could do, but I'm not going to. Ha! <laughs> Can't worry about her now, says Rogue. All of this uh, debris is flying towards Master Mold. As Master Mold is using the materials of the construction site to rebuild himself bigger than ever. Master Mold notes as he's rebuilding himself that the X-Men are currently deceased, so he's reevaluating the files for possible error. Mm-hmm. The cops show up. Master Mold throws uh, giant flechettes at Longshot. 
He's got spikes, just like mine. Ha! Huh? <laughs> Storm says only his can slice through buildings. The longer he stays here, the more Master Mold learns. He's a robot. How is it that he can perceive us? Man, we really should have used some of our valuable time and gotten Sharon to safety. <laughs> Uh, the simplest solution is to remove him to where he could do no more immediate harm by sweeping him as far as possible out into the Atlantic. So she uses big winds to sweep him away. And I was thinking, oh, this is how he ends up at Muir Island. But apparently not. Uh, Colossus down at the bottom of, of the, uh, underneath his legs, Master Mole's legs, realizes that he's anchored himself to the island. And so he uh, humorously pulls off one of his legs. So think about the life of Master Mold. Uh, he's awakened by Bolivar Trask and immediately defeated by the X-Men. Then he wakes up like on a space station and he's immediately shut down by the Hulk, Bobby, and Beast. Then he wakes up in Alaska and then he's promptly defeated by Cyclops. So like <laughs> his life, while he's been around for a while, his life is like three days or four days. <laughs> And he's a robot, so, I mean, you know, you can't go against his programming. <laughs> it's one of the problems I have with most superhero movies. Most of them. Not not the Avengers, because they they really built up, uh, what's his face? Um, not Kang. Groot. Groot. They really built up Groot. Uh, but, like, in other uh, superhero, like, Doomsday in the Superman movie, or Batman Superman, isn't he, like, awake for a day and then he gets beaten? Yeah. And then I Apocalypse mean, in the X-Men Apocalypse movie, like Apocalypse wakes up. And he's like, oh, I'm Apocalypse. And oh, now I'm defeated. I've only been awake for a day. You can only do that sort of build up once and have it work right. And as, and as soon as other people see it happening, they just want to get straight to the part, the payoff. Yeah. And but, and that's not what we want. We don't want the payoff. We want the build up and then the payoff. But that's what I'm saying but, about poor Master Mold here. He wakes up for a day, fights a little bit, and then gets destroyed. Yeah, he's he's in a DC movie. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he pounds down on Colossus, knocking him into the ground. Whatever happened to the X-Sentinels? Remember those guys? Yes, they were on the asteroid. Well, how which, come they don't get to come back? I think, yeah, they it was a dumb idea, so they were blown up. <laughs> Nobody wanted to ever see them again. Somebody could revive, like, there could be an X-Sentinels comic book. It's the like the original... 1970s X-Men, but like, you know, as robots. Are they sentinels who have become self-aware and are um, going against their programming? I guess they would have to. But every now and then there's an issue where their programming kicks back up and and they almost do an evil thing, but they're able to save themselves. And one of them is an agent of evil. <gasps> he, he hasn't lost his programming, but he's got to hide that from the others. Oh, but they're a hive mind, so that evil personality jumps from character to character every issue. Oh, that's smart. I like that. <laughs> so you never know, depending on what storyline, who the bad one is. <laughs> Delicious. That's, that's, that's my pitch for the first uh, Marvel Universe X-Men movie. Okay. Something completely out of left field. <laughs> X-Sentinels. <laughs> from, from an issue that hardly anybody remembers, except the truest of fans, who would be like, this is awesome. Oh, and they could be pulled from like the X-Men uh, Fox franchise. So those characters would be the X-Sentinels. <laughs> oh, sure. And then a new team of the new X-Men would have to fight them. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and, and to make it even better, because you don't want old Halle Berry and old wolverine they'll just use cgi versions of them 
Well, we we got a young Storm in the the X Men franchise, so oh, you don't use her. You do a CGI oh, yeah. version of Halle Berry. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's from X One. It's those characters with those likenesses at that age. Okay, so it's it's going to be a huge CGI thing. Maybe some of their faces are damaged, so we don't have to see them that much. I imagine some of that facial technology has gotten better since they tried to do Tarkin in that movie, Rogue One. It seems like it's getting better every time they use it. Uh, every time I see it in a Marvel movie, though, I'm like, yeah, I can still tell. Yeah, I, I thought, I wish they wouldn't have done it with Sam Jackson. Yeah, especially since he was running like an old man. Ugh, it, ugh, I'm young, <laughs> but I can't move very fast. <laughs> it looked pretty good, I thought, but... I think because I know Samuel L. Jackson is an old man and because he has kind of an older man's posture to put like that young face on him. Yeah. It was weird. It, it like, like you said, it looks good, but it doesn't play good. Like the minute, the minute you, you know, you know, you know, like, yeah. Now, if you didn't know who Samuel L. Jackson, if that was like a brand new character that you'd never seen before, and for some reason they decided to de-age him, I wonder if then you'd be like, oh, that's that's a weird CGI effect. Or if you'd Maybe. be like, that person looks weird. Or you'd be like, why does that person move so weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, Every time he moves his face, does his lips look like CGI? Did they do a, a CGI old Leia? Um, In the new Star Wars? Yeah. Well, we can't talk about that. We have to save that for our Star Wars episode. Yeah, but I mean, spoiler, Tickler, was was any of that a CGI face? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it, a lot of it was footage that was shot. Yep. But some of it was enhanced footage that they shot. I mean, I figure like backgrounds and bodies and all that were probably different, but I, I didn't know if like the head was like the original footage. All of the all of the dialogue that they had was actually recorded, so I'm assuming that the the face was also there, hmm. and they just had to touch it up with the body. Sure, sure, that that I expected. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, which is why it doesn't look horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just completely out of place with the rest of the movie. All right. Anyways, moving on. Spoilers. <laughs> um, Psylocke detects a living personality within Master Mold and tries to take over his mind, but he is able to detect it. And apparently Nimrod goes into his, his I can't remember what his alter ego was. Yeah, this was weird because I was like, who says darn straight ombre? Go for broke, lady. Nail this walking junk pile. That doesn't sound like Nimrod at all. I feel like it sounds like him in his, is it Jamie something or other? His urban detective guy? Yeah, well, a construction worker, kind of right. like hero of the people. Like Nimrod to me is a robot, like analysis complete, mutants are evil. Right. But when he's in his human alter ego, I feel like he's like, he's talking to that kid in that one issue of like, do your homework, stay in school. He's more like, down straight, hombre. Yeah. Go for broke, lady. Nail this walking junk pile. <laughs> right. So the way that the dialogue boxes are here, they're square and pink like Nimrod's boxes are, or his dialogue is. So, yeah. So the difference is that Nimrod's dialogue is normal, and uh, Master Mold's dialogue is in italics. So italics sounds like this. I feel like the other dialogue, though, would be like, 
Darn straight, hombre. Go for broke lady. Nail this walking junk pile. (laughs) That's what I feel like, too. But also, Master Mold's uh, dialogue has a little uh, corner missing. Oh, yeah. On each each of his balloons, he's missing a corner. See, these are... These are very subtle touches that now that I'm seeing them, I like, but they're not super obvious. Yeah, I would think they would use a slightly different color, like maybe a yellow yes, red balloon or something. Exactly. Or, you know, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Nimrod's dialogue boxes could be like a parallelogram rather than a yeah, rectangle, yeah. like anything that's a little bit more obvious. Well, anyways, he subtlety. shoots. They're going for subtlety. Yeah, he shoots at uh, Psylocke. Uh, Colossus and, uh, is climbing out of the hole. He's like, oh, I'm, I really hurt, but I'll be fine. Just give me a minute. I will be fine, Rogue. I think soon. As soon as my body stops ringing. And Rogue says, I don't have got time for that. So she kisses him and to steal his powers and says, someday, sweetie, I just got to find a way to smooch that don't instantly zap the guy I'm smooching. So she flies up. Um... She flies up. Rogue, meanwhile, is in the hole, and she's like, oh. Not Rogue, that's Dazzler. Rather, Dazzler. I'm I'm down in this hole, and oh, hey, the Siege Perilous is in my coat, and it cut my hand again. I forgot I had this. Yep. When the crystal she... projected an image of my death. I don't know why she's bleeding again, but whatever. Well, yeah, well, she says, like, my hand's bleeding same as before, but... I don't know if it's the angle of which it's drawn, but both issues kind of, it feels to me like that one corner is like dug into her hand, but I don't know if that's just the way her palm is drawn. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know why it's doing this. I don't know why it makes her hand bleed. I don't know why it looks like it's coming out of her hand. (laughs) I don't know. But I do know that Rogue is flying. uh, Once she gets up to space, she turns around like a boomerang and through uh, several panels of sonic booming, boom, 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 she hits uh, Master Mold full force and explodes him. Whammo! Geronimo, sucker! And uh, he's probably blown to bits, or at least the X-Men think so. All that's left is like a head, but it continues to talk. Now we get some different colored dialogue boxes. We've got pink and orange. Massive systems dysfunction. Them's the brakes. Unknown presence. It's barely a different color orange. Uh, are it's you like, yeah? Are you reading the Marvel Unlimited copy? No, I'm reading it from one of them hardcovers. Oh, so maybe I, that's I, why. I could totally. It's, it's, it's different. But I could totally see it on a printed piece of paper. It would probably because the other dialogue boxes that we were just talking about, those in the Marvel Unlimited are the exact same color. In this okay. panel, and maybe they recolored it here for some reason, but. Nimrod's is in like a peach. Okay. So anyways, he says, I'm Nimrod. Uh, so I guess Rogue smashed him into the hole that Dazzler was in. Cause she's now at the same level as Nim as a uh, Nimrod slash master Mold's head. I think, yeah, I think she just, she made the hole a lot wider. So now all of the X-Men are in this hole. And so Master Mold starts reintegrating himself uh, and her Dazzler's hand is bleeding even more. And and uh, could that be why I've been carrying around this crystal? We sent the Reavers through the Siege Perilous. Maybe the same trick will work if I just throw this randomly behind its head. 
She does. She's and it got, does. She's got really good aim. It sticks in the ground and it gets really big or Master Mold's head gets really small. I think it's the Siege Perilous getting big. I no. love the cover. It does. It gets big. Uh, and then Master Mold, who must have been programmed to know this, says, warning, pan-dimensional portal now operational. So <laughs> Bolivar, watch out for those pan-dimensional portals. Bolivar Trask, when he was doing the programming, he was like, well, in the event of a pan-dimensional portal, better program this in. Okay, it now knows what that is. Okay. <laughs> Immediate countermeasures mandated. I don't know that we know what those countermeasures are. Maybe it's these tentacles that come out a couple panels later. What do you know? It worked. I got the portal to open, says Dazzler. Rogue flies in and she's punching uh, Master Mold. She wants to punch him into the Siege Perilous. Nimrod's like, yo, hombre, we're both robots, correct? Again, this dialogue box is the exact same pink now as Master Mold, so they just can't decide what color to use on what which is person's dialogue box. Yeah. Uh, analysis uh, an- anomaly scan, scan analysis. analysis scan analysis confirms. Is, I like that. It's scan and analysis, technically the same thing. Scan analysis mm. confirms identity as subordinate module Nimrod, but communications patterns are inconsistent with core programming matrix. The robot grabs Rogue, strangling her, holding her together. Those tentacles that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And Rogue says, uh, I can't get loose of this. Blast him, Dazzler. Knock us through. The siege perilous. Uh, sacrifice me. It's okay. There's nothing we can do. Meanwhile, um, I guess Dazzler does make the choice and finally does it. Meanwhile, uh, Nimrod and Master Mold are kind of talking about each other. They're talking to each other about about how they're both robots and how now Nimrod is somehow alive and now... Therefore, Master Mold has mutated to also being alive. If the and... X-Men can only be detected by living entities, and this unit, Nimrod Master Mold Synthesis, can detect them, we must, in some sense, be alive. But robots are machines. We've mutated, evolved, and now we're a mutant. So we have to destroy ourselves. So wait, this is like Captain Kirk. If we have life, we are no longer purely a machine. That means we've evolved beyond the technical plane. We have, in a word, mutated. Query, why is Slave Module Nimrod doing this? One word says all. I'm nobody's slave. Nobody's slave! No more blah, blah, blah! <laughs> uh, yep. Mandate, your programming mandates the destruction of all mutants, Master Mold. Affirmative. You are yourself now a mutant. Affirmative. Fulfill Prime Directive. And as he does that... He and Rogue go flying through the Siege Perilous. My force beam, says Dazzler, must have blown them both through the crystal. No, 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 no. She's gone. What have I done? What have I done? Honestly, I don't know what happened. Did did Master Mold just explode? I think that Dazzler shot Master Mold Nimrod while Master Mold Nimrod was having this internal debate. And when Nimrod said, fulfill the Prime Directive... It doesn't show it on the panel at all. I'm totally guessing. But that's when Master Mold just let go of the ground. But why do you take Rogue with her? Or him? Because uh, Rogue is entangled in all of those um, tentacles. What a jerk. <laughs> and that's when the Siege Perilous shrinks and, and Rogue's gone. She's gone. Oh, Rogue, what have I done? What have I done? Says Dazzler. 
And this begins the first of four prologues, which I love. I love so much. It's like a prologue and a prologue and a prologue. I think we've only seen this one other time. And I think it was the X-Sentinel issue. We we got a prologue that was uh, recently in the boys issue that kind of ties to this one. Oh, uh, yeah. What was that? I'm going to flap. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the one where Donald Pierce escapes in a bloody mess inside of the... Uh, Sebastian Shaw's headquarters, I guess. Yeah. So later, after the police are there and everyone's helping clean up the the destruction, uh, Shaw shows up with Tessa and they're like, hey, what was it? It was Master Mold, a Sentinel? That's, That's impossible based on our current data. Well, everything's gone. The superheroes are gone. There's no witnesses, no images, no photographs. Shaw's like, well, that's intriguing. And then they decide that there's been one fatality, and it was Sharon Kelly. Shaw goes up to uh, Robert Kelly, and Robert Kelly's like, that hunter system you spoke of, Sebastian, whatever it takes, I swear on my wife's grave, go ahead, full steam, whatever federal support Project Nimrod requires, I guarantee it'll get. This carnage must end. By creating more carnage. And then we zoom to a Vizzy screen, where somebody is watching them saying, poor baby, life is so tough. We find out that it's the Reavers with Lady Deathstrike and Donald Pierce who are watching, I guess, the news. Yes, we get we get name. Oh, yeah, it's Bonebreaker and yeah. Donald Pierce and, and Lady Deathstrike. Are they watching the news? I don't think so because... Well, they're watching a busy screen of some sort. Because you would not be able to hear the dialogue of... Sebastian Shaw on the news. Oh, okay. So it's it's some sort of other satellite that they have that can pick up all of this dialogue. It's like a spy camera. And uh, Pierce is like, the X-Men are alive and we're going to kill them. Lady Deathstrike's like, are you sure they're supposed to be dead? And he's like, I know it. And I know where they live. We're going to go kill them. And then we... They weren't... They didn't show up on our monitors. And then we zoom out to another busy screen where Nanny and Orphan Maker are watching Donald Pierce light a cigarette. They're Donald Pierce cam. <laughs> Who is he, Nanny? He he's is, scary. He's Donald Pierce, Peter, the Hellfire Club's renegade white king. Uh, you'll do well to watch your step around him. Orphan Maker says, we gonna help him? What a bright and generous boy you are, Peter. Soon, my orphan maker, you'll have lots of new friends to get, to play with. And then this word balloon gets a bordered, a big pink border. Because whether they like it or not, we're going to save the X-Men. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. So there you go. That's uh, X-Men number 247, the beginning of the end part one the beginning of the end i don't know for somebody <laughs> i think rogue's gonna be okay we still don't know how master mold got to Mir island oh i don't think those count <laughs> and loses nimrod i don't think that counts i i hope, I, I, hope I hope that's not true think that <laughs> I do you recall how Master Mold was brought back to fight Power Pack? Yes, you do. Oh, how he was brought back? Yes. Uh, I think he was just in like a junkyard. 
Do you recall how he got from Alaska to the junkyard in Manhattan? Because I why don't, don't. Why don't you uh, read some of our stuff, okay. our, uh, our show notes, our, our whatever we call this section between when we do part A and part B. And I'll, see, I'll figure out if I can figure that out. All right. Well, Andrew Franklin, who is a oh, not, not the letters, the uh, oh. the 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 other stuff you do. I want to be included on the letters. We do the letters first. Oh, do we? Yeah. That's been a while. <laughs> okay, then you go ahead and do that. I found the issue. Okay. Uh, Andrew Franklin writes in and says, "I really like that you guys took the time to go through havoc and Wolverine meltdown." So did we. It was an interesting and fun ride. I can't promise we're going to go through all of those, uh, uh, what do you call them, detours. But it was fun. <laughs> I think it's worth the time because it's a good story. I agree. But it's also very unique. That makes it more than just a spinoff book. I agree also to that as well. When it comes to character solo miniseries of the 90s, I'm not sure they would need to be focused in the same fashion. I'd still listen if you did, though. Keep up the great work. Well, Andrew just said everything I just said. Well, I think when it's good, we're going to probably do it. And when it's bad, we're going to not do it. <laughs> what if we don't know that it's bad until after we've done it? Then we'll we'll probably like have a discussion before the episode and then say, let's not do a full episode on this. Like, I think there's a an X-Men miniseries where they become vampires. And that and could, while that, I... That, that could be good. I'm curious about <laughs> it. I bet you it's awful. It might be. <laughs> Brian Walker... He's, wait, wait, wait. Hmm? Uh, we, you forgot to mention that Andrew Franklin is a patron at the $1 Scoot and Futzer level. I think we should start announcing that to people just so people know we have a Patreon out there. And, you know, you can you can submit and it's cool. Like Andrew Franklin and Brian Walker. Yeah. He's also a patron at the $1 Scoot and Futzer level. Would, would you refer to them giving us that dollar as submitting or subscribing or donating? Well... Submitting feels weird. Yeah, submitting just feels wrong. <laughs> uh, donating sounds good. Subscribing also sounds good. I guess uh, I just I, they're they're giving us patronage. Ah, fair enough. Yes, Brian Walker, who is a patron at the dollar level, he says that it's the best dollar he's ever spent. Can't believe that he's actually caught up with our show. You guys are the first podcast I've ever rated. Uh, I've rated on iTunes or supported on Patreon. Uh, although it's all at the dollar level, that's fine. That's that's 100% more than most people. <laughs> Actually, yeah, infinitely more than a lot of people. So, so there you go. Uh, I've always loved the X-Men, but as a child, all my knowledge of the X-Men came from the animated series and trading cards. Uh, that's too bad. I mean, the animated series was great. It's not bad. It's but just different. The trading cards uh, were fun shouldn't ostracize the poor guy just because of the trading cards. No, it's too bad he missed out on the comic books is all I'm saying. I'm saying it's not his fault. Well, he's clearly not missing out on them if he's going back and listening to our podcast. Mm, fair point. Um, when I decided I wanted to read all of the Uncanny X-Men, that's when I came across your podcast. I wonder if it was like a, I want to read all of the X-Men. Oh my God, there's a lot of X-Men. I wonder if there's a <laughs> podcast. Probable. Oh my God, there's a podcast. Uh, let's see. It made it much easier to get through the early years knowing that afterward I could hear you joke about them. Ah, oh, I'm so glad we're done with those. 
<laughs> we should do those again. Oh, God. I knew that I had to support you guys on Patreon when I was reading comics in the same voices that you guys do. The best was when I looked at the first page of Hickman's X-Men uh, issue one, and all I could hear was Jeremy saying, my deadly eyes. I guess Cyclops must be on the first page of Hicksman's X-Men issue one. Yeah, man. I would really enjoy hearing your review. You review the X-Men animated series. Interesting. You could do episodes of story arcs like Dark Phoenix or Days of Future Past and compare them to comic stories. I just rewatched the whole thing and was surprised at how well it held up, except the last season was awful. There's a reason for that. Even if you provided no extra content, I would continue to support you guys on multiple episodes. I've heard dogs barking. In one episode, Jeremy mentioned that they were his dogs, but nothing else. What are these dogs' names and what kind of dogs are they? I need to know more about these dogs. Uh, well, the dogs' names are Abby, uh, Bowser, and Cleo. Two of them are small, and one of them is large. <laughs> I have a small dog. His name is Yoshi. He yeah, may or may not have been in the background of some episodes. I don't know. I don't think Yoshi barks much. Not really, no. Yeah, my, my dogs are awful. He, he, barks, he, he barks more now that he's older. Yeah. My dogs get riled up by just about anything. <laughs> and then I'm just immune to it. I just let them bark because it's more work than it's worth to try to get them to shut up. Sometimes they'll come up in the middle of the night and bark at the door. Mm. Do you have, he just wants to be let in. Do you have ghosts? No, no. I think he just is like, I feel like sleeping upstairs tonight. Like mostly he sleeps downstairs and I sleep upstairs. Mm. But sometimes he feels like sleeping upstairs. So it's like three o'clock in the morning. I'll just hear. Arf. He misses you. It's a good thing I'm a light sleeper. Yeah. Going through all the back issues is something I've always wanted to do, and having you guys do it uh, with has only made it better. I often listen with headphones on at home and get weird looks from my wife when I laugh out loud. Just wanted to let you know how much your show has meant to me. Well, we definitely appreciate you listening. Um, does that mean that he doesn't laugh out loud in normal life? Like, why does his why is his wife giving him weird looks? I have also been caught with my headphones on either watching my iPad or maybe listening to a podcast and also laughing out loud. And then my wife looking at me quizzically, wondering what's so funny. And then you can't be like, well, get a load of this. <laughs> right. Because you'd have to explain the whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I know the whole situation. I was just trying to make it weirder than it was. Oh, oh, oh. Like he never laughs. Oh, I got Suddenly you. he only laughs when he's got headphones on. He's like, <laughs> and his wife is like. What the hell? How come I, I don't, don't make, make you laugh? laugh? <laughs> Do you love them more than you love me? <laughs> I'm uh, sure that's not the case. Uh, I think, I think that in, gosh, where did I see this? I feel like in that Claremont's X-Men, they talked a little bit about the animated series. Hmm. Gosh, where did I see that? I don't remember. I was watching something. Uh, it could have been that. might have been something else. But they were definitely talking about a ton of production problems that they had in the fourth season. Uh, oh. Apparently, there's a, there's a lot of drama that goes behind the production and creation of X-Men, the animated series. They were... Everybody agrees that the song is awesome. I never was a big fan of that song. <laughs> but it is memorable. You'll never forget it. Um... They had, they had to, they, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a big thing that I can't quite recall, but they definitely had to move production uh, for the fourth and final season elsewhere. And that's when the quality suffered. But I feel like the people that were involved had like really big ideas for what they wanted to do with the stories. But since the quality fell apart, ratings tanked, and then they ended up canceling the show. But uh, we will consider 
uh, a review. I, I, I like the idea of the story arcs because they do cover quite a few of them. Um, I feel like it's the best cartoon show that has no violence. Okay. Because Better than G.I. Joe? Oh, well. God, that's, <laughs> what did I just do to yeah, you? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Maybe that's what we need to do, Adam. Maybe we need to do like a side-by-side like for the G.I. Joe versus the X-Men, it's going down now. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow we would have to pick like an episode of G.I. Joe and an episode of the X-Men, which is difficult because uh, the X-Men was serialized and G.I. Joe is not serialized. Well, there was like the first couple of five parters. Like I recently rewatched the first five parter of G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. And um, the first thing that duke says in the dialogue to scarlet is like what are you doing bacteria brain and it's really funny (laughs) that's amazing uh yeah i don't know we'd have to that would be an interesting like does it hold up which is better that type of thing gi joe absolutely holds up yeah maybe not for today's audiences but i don't know there's something about that that 80s animation that just is is somehow timeless i would almost in my recollection now that i'm thinking about it i would almost argue that the gi joe animation i think might have been better than the x-men animation it could be i mean the x-men was a lot more dynamic they were doing a lot more poses and they were trying to ape like jim lee's kind of style and angles and such but uh the the gi joe animation was always consistent like everybody always looked like they were supposed to look all the time if that makes any sense yeah no i get what you're saying so yeah that's a it's an interesting idea so a uh a compare and contrast gi joe versus x-men the animated series and then potentially a um a review if you will of some of the story arcs in X-Men the Animated Series. Oh, that was the other issue is that uh, they didn't necessarily air X-Men the Animated Series in order. Oh, okay. On, on Fox Kids. So many that can be very confusing. people that watched it were like, well, I must have missed something because <laughs> this is a continuation of something I haven't seen yet. So that, mm. that also didn't help. I feel like when so I was we- watching it, though, it was in the proper order. You need to watch it in the aired order. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that also, oh, that was another, oh, it's all kind of coming. No, never mind. I'm thinking of uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Never mind. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, like all of the affiliates were like, this show is a stupid joke. And Saban (laughs) was like, we'll give you 20%. And they're like, okay. And so apparently that was like the most money that the affiliates ever got for any show. And I made up the 20%. I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was a lot more than they got for all the other shows. And that's why it was aired everywhere and it made all of the money. They didn't do that was, with the X-Men though. Was that the in the toys that made us? Yeah, that was. That yeah, was. I saw, I, I saw that one too. Um, but X-Men, the animated series, I bet you you couldn't look up an original air date because I bet you it was different per every affiliate. No, oh, maybe. Yeah. Anyways, there you go. If you want to... Uh, well, hold on, hold on. I got power pack number 36 queued up. Page nine. Uh, basically, uh, Master Mold has a flashback consisting of his his life so far. Um, he we get, a, we, get the, we get to see the 12 where we see that Storm, Cyclops... Um, and I don't think these are the same 12 as have we've seen before. So this is probably means nothing. Um, 
looks like maybe Callisto, uh, Apocalypse, Professor X, Jean Grey, Psylocke, I'm thinking, Danny Moonstar and Cannonball might all be the 12. I don't know. Anyway, he talks about, he, he says, Alaska encounter with one of the 12 mutant entity Scott Summers, codenamed Cyclops, but rebuilt systems were too weak then, still glitched. And then he just wakes up in New York. Oh, okay. In time, how much time? Data recall scattered. Only core unit intact. Power low. Base maintenance levels only. So I guess Scott reduced him to a base maintenance, a base unit. And that base unit um, gets on a ship somehow and then turns the ship into master mold at the bottom of the ocean. And then I guess makes his way to Franklin in New York. Okay. Okay. I vaguely recollect all of that. So, so there you go. It tracks. Uh, Keynes Atkins wrote to us again. Yes. Yes. Keynes, Keynes says that, uh, if you recall, uh, wrote into us a while back and, and was not a fan of mine, but was definitely a fan of yours, Adam. I don't think she disliked you. I'm assuming it's a she. I don't know why. Uh, it could also. It, I, I, I. We're gonna. We. We're probably gonna butcher your name again. <laughs> um, it's K A E N S, which I feel like is Irish for some reason, like Carnes. Oh man, well, it could be. Well, uh, as Keynes mentioned, Keynes listens to our podcast during their commute and uh, doesn't have a great memory at keeping track of everything that Keynes was shaking. I can't, I, I'm trying to stay gender neutral because I, I, I don't, I just, don't know. Just read, just, just read the letter. All right. As I mentioned, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to paraphrase. Uh, I listen during my commute, so I don't have a good, or I don't do a good job remembering all of the things that I was shaking my head at in the past few months. So maybe I should provide feedback more regularly or keep notes. Ooh, regular feedback. Like it. I, I like it too. Loved. One, how the reprints were handled in all of the side books, like the Avengers that the OG X-Men appeared in. It helped me find a few appearances that I tracked down from my collection. I agree. Uh, it really filled in some blanks for me and they were a lot of fun to do. A lot of people like that one. Yeah. Two voices for various characters. Even Adam is getting into it more. I feel like I we're both... feel like I've always been into yeah, it, but okay, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm just selling it better. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe earlier on they're like, that's just his normal voice and his narration <laughs> voice is a fake voice. Maybe my re my voices are terrible in the beginning <laughs> episodes. Now, this does go back quite a while because uh, the letter goes on to say the Google translation's not great, but usually funny. Yeah, we agree. That's why we dropped it. When did we stop that? Uh, a while ago. I feel like we more or less, well, actually, I feel like Chris Claremont used a lot of foreign words a lot earlier, like German and Russian, basically. Yeah. Uh, and was there any Japanese or Chinese that he threw in? Probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I think it just became too much work. <laughs> Probably. It was just like, as, as was everything else. We yeah. just ran out of, uh, steam. Yep. steam. Uh, annoyed, not hate one science questions. I think one time Jeremy said, what's a mile? Like two 20,000 feet. I feel like I was probably joking. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know, but you know, that, that took a science class once. It was not 20. It's like 500 feet, isn't it? I took biology twice, man. I was so bad at biology. <laughs> Just, yeah. Some days I think Adam is taking on Jeremy's role of being cranky pants. 
Here's, I, I think we both definitely take on that role all the time. Here's an example. See this, why I hate 80s comics in regards to comics released in the 70s. Ooh, Adam, you missed a decade. I really like 80s comics. I've changed. I've really changed. Uh, discussions of power, such as Wolverine. Jeremy keeps acting like Wolverine can't have a feral-like sense of smell or that Nightcrawler blends into his shadows because it hasn't been established. What do you think you're reading? This is where it's established. I think my comments are more like this happened and we never see it again, right? It's like Nightcrawler fading into the background is fine power. I don't mind it, but it never, it, it goes away. And Wolverine's feral sense of smell, I like it, but he only uses it like that once and then never again. Maybe I didn't like 80s comics that were released in the 70s. Maybe that's what it was. And it's not the feral like sense of smell. It's like he, there's one issue early on in the X-Men where he's able to like empathically communicate with an animal to like kind of be like, no animal, you don't want to hurt us and kind of uses the force and an animal walks away, which is fine, but he never uses it again. I don't like 60s comics released in the 70s either. <laughs> I like how we're having our own conversations. <laughs> well, see, this is what you do to us, Canes. Uh, this is where it's, let's see. Uh, overall, still love the podcast and we'll obviously keep listening. My favorite is slowly switching from Adam to Jeremy. Whoa. Which I have to admit I didn't see coming. I will try to offer my next feedback prior to the Dark Phoenix saga. Thanks, guys. Well, it's interesting to get feedback from episodes that were... I don't know, over a hundred issues ago, episodes ago. Yeah. Like five years in our past. Maybe not that much. <laughs> well, two, two, three years in our past. Keynes gets to see us grow. Yeah. More <laughs> so than us because we don't get, we don't really see ourselves grow. Yeah. We just grow. Can you imagine binging this podcast? Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I mean, how many have you, you've binged podcasts before, haven't you? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure. I think, I think even in the beginning, I think I, I even binged ours a little bit. Yeah. And then I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, is like you binge through a podcast that's been around for five, seven, ten years. Like, yeah. If you listen to Smodcast, you can hear Kevin voice, Kevin Smith's voice change. You can hear him get thin. You can hear him get thin, too. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I, but never really think about it, but they're in different spots in their life during that run of the podcast that took them 10 years to create and you six months to listen to. Yeah, you're right. I never really thought about that in terms of us. Mm-hmm. And somebody's doing that with us. That is bizarre. It really makes you think. <laughs> I mean, I'm flattered and I find it fascinating and I could talk about us for hours. Wow, I love talking about us. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, but at the same time, I just never really think about it. Speaking of us, you can contact us at... Hold the, on, you missed a letter. Oh, I did? Oh. J.D. Gaffel, a it, patron at the $1 Scoot and Futzer level, writes, I motion you keep up with the current series of mutant comics for more exclusive episodes. Which, uh, well, we haven't done any yet. Um, the, thing, the thing that we discussed, and we kind of discussed this off pod, was that we both read X-Men issue one, and it took us like 10 minutes. It was a very short issue. So if we do that, we might do them as like five to ten minute episodes. Would people be okay with that? When you say, That's my question to you. When you say X-Men 1, are you talking about 1963 X-Men 1 or are you talking no, no, about... No. I'm talking about the current series of mutant comics. Oh, I got you. I got you. Inter the most recent X-Men number one. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we've both read it. 
Yeah. Like we just, I don't know, maybe, maybe. Yeah. We're still bouncing around ideas. We got a couple. So, yeah. So the question is, would people be down with the latest series of X-Men, but on Patreon? Yeah, on Patreon and super short. Yeah. Or, or would it be like, here's the next six issues in this arc, all in like a 30-minute episode? Do you think we could get six issues into 30 minutes? Uh, 40 minutes. I feel like it'd be, I mean, you know, this is open for debate, but I feel like it'd be fun to do an issue and just like be done with it. We we just did an issue. We never do that anymore. We did that when we started. We did X-Men issue one through whatever, and we didn't do any of this backup stuff. And I'm not saying the backup stuff is bad. Backup stuff is fun in its own way. Um, But it'd be interesting to do like just one issue. And then call it a call it a call it an app. Call it a day. Call it a in the books. Throw it in the bag. All right. Well, put that in our back pocket. Let us know what you think by contacting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, Facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, uh, on Twitter at danger room go. Email us dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com or go out to iTunes. You can subscribe to us, leave us some feedback, leave us some stars. Or go out to 501, or go out to call, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. And you can leave us a voice message. Or go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room where uh, all of this content is. And you could subscribe there. And you could, you could uh, you know, subscribe at one of those patron levels that we've got out there. There's a new one coming. We discussed it last episode, mm-hmm. and we're we're gonna get it out there soon enough. Yeah, our rollouts are slow. <laughs> like uh, everything. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and there's a little bit more reading to do that uh, I did like five weeks ago, <laughs> so I don't really remember much of it. All right. Well, you can cover Excalibur, and I will fill in the gaps for you. Excalibur number 11. Yes. It's not um, What's-His-Face. No, it's the other What's-His-Face. It's it's Marshall Rogers. Yes. Guest penciling. He did number 10 as well. Yeah. So it automatically loses my interest. Um, (laughs) The only real interesting things in this issue for me is where I'm going to skip everything and say that Kitty Pride walks around naked. Well, not on purpose. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, actually, before she does that, um, um, a sword in the stone appears outside of the, um, whatchamacallit, the water tower yeah, lighthouse. lighthouse. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, Kitty's like, well, last time I saw one of these, uh, it looked, it was uh, in Ilyana's sword. And this looks like Ilyana's sword, but she's gone. So... I'm not really interested in it. So Phoenix uses the might of her Phoenix power to try to draw the sword from the stone and, and she can't. And she's like, uh, you need to get this kitty. And Kitty's like, nah, I'm gonna go in my room. I don't want to deal with it. And, uh, I don't know. Later on, she's like, and then more important, she, well, not more importantly, but next, that's very important not to skip over. She discovers Lockheed. Oh, who, that's right. Who we thought was dead. I mean, not really, but, uh, and it turns out he still looks like he's dead, but then we cut to later and he's all right. Oh, okay. Woo, woo. Thank God. There's some stuff with Courtney Ross and this guy. And Courtney Ross has got pictures of that 
evil person whose name I can't remember who looks stupid. Oh, Gatecrasher. Gatecrasher. There you go. Uh, and uh, the guy that has a thing for Rachel, I guess his name is Professor Stewart. Alistair Stewart. Alistair Stewart. Kitty's got a thing for him. He's got a thing for Rachel, which is fortunate for him because Rachel's in like bondage gear. <laughs> as she as she does in this time period. And Kitty's like, oh, what are you guys doing here? I'm I'm going to bed. I'm going to my room. And that's when you do see Lockheed kind of snap to attention. So he is alive. And uh, she she takes the little widget thing and she's trying to figure out what it is. Um, there's some Nazi Excalibur stuff that I don't care yeah, about. The, the, the widget, the widget thing eats stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Kitty's trying to find some clothes. I don't remember why. Oh, she, she wants to, she wants to get herself sexy for Alistair. So she's putting on her clothes and she's like, Oh, I just look like a kid. Well, let me go get some of your clothes. And she goes to Kitty's closet, Rachel's, and Rachel's closet. And, and it's nothing but like, red boots and red skirts uh and then her clothes blow off and then she's in some weird parallel dimension with a bunch of like i don't know anthropomorphic animal things that kind of look like excalibur yeah yeah that's what happens and then they turn into like some alien things and some elephants or maybe that's in a different direction I think those are just other people in the room. So she goes to introduce herself. I'm Kitty Pride. Mind you, she's still naked. She doesn't really realize she's naked. And she's then introducing herself to Alistair uh, and Rachel. And they're like, what What are you doing? We know who you are. And that's when she realizes she's naked. She covers herself and she falls to the floor. And she's sitting at her computer and she's very embarrassed. <laughs> As you would be. And then she's trying to figure out Widget. Widget's eating things. Then we get the Nazis again. Apparently their train is powered by a dragon, which is kind of neat. Which is, I guess, their equivalent of Lockheed. Yeah. And uh, Excalibur now shows up. Well, they're they're sending uh, both teams. So the people that went over to the other dimension are now going back, and our people are coming back. Coming back from that dimension? From that dimension, yes. So Moira McTaggart and Callisto from the other dimension right. are returning and Moira McTaggart and Callisto from the Nazi dimension are going back to the Nazi dimension. And, uh, yeah, the widget thing keeps eating and eating and eating. And now he's big. I guess it ate the train's armory. I don't know what it ate. I don't know either, but she's like, Oh, gross. There's some broken boxes behind it. So it must've eaten the contents of those boxes. Yeah. So I'm yeah I'm guessing that our Callisto and Moira McTaggart and the rest of the crew are walking out of the portal, and the Nazis are getting ready to walk into the portal. But that's when evil Moira takes something and throws it uh, at Excalibur, and the grenade, and they all disappear, including the train and the widget thing. So we don't know where they are now. But next issue is called "Call Me Billy the Kid." Yup. This issue is not great. But we get a fun um, dragon chow panel on the next page where Callisto is feeding the dragon, dragon chow. Yeah. I like this drawing. It's okay. It's good. Well, it's okay. It's good. <laughs> it, it's okay. It's good. No, it's okay. <laughs> 
It's we not, could do this all night. It's not Alan Davis. I know, and I'm, and it, and it's, it's difficult when you have Alan Davis as your regular artist on a book, and then you switch over to anybody else. I feel like this issue probably would have been super interesting, and I would have been super into it if Alan Davis was the artist on it. Probably, but, but since it was this guy, I, I'm not aware of, and the art was not all that great. Meh. <laughs> What can you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about Wolverine number 10. Yeah, I read this five weeks is, ago too. It's the big one. It's the one where we learn a whole bunch of stuff about Wolverine and Sabretooth. Um, I feel like this was a tale that Chris Claremont was itching to tell. I wonder if this issue uh, was released around the same time that he did that backup issue in Classic X-Men. I don't know. You remember what story I'm talking about, right? Yes, the one where Sabretooth rips out Wolverine's throat. Yep, every on year on Wolverine's birthday. I feel like that came after this. Well, that could be, sure. Because the birthday thing is kind of a surprise in this issue. Ah, that's a good point. But I wonder if it was like the same month. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Could be. It would make sense. So uh, in the current world, Wolverine is kind of trying to spend some time alone because... Or for some unknown reason, i.e. it's his birthday, he doesn't want to be around anybody else. Is this um, the first time we talk about Silver Fox? This is the first appearance and last appearance of Silver Fox. Isn't Silver okay. Fox his girlfriend from the movie? Yes. Isn't that weird? Spoilers, Silver Fox ain't dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you said this was the first and last appearance, Adam. You lied to I me. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Um... Yeah. So Silver Fox, uh, we, we learn, we learn a lot more about Silver Fox in the upcoming issues of Wolverine in a, like a decade. Okay. So hold a hold a put a tack in that, <laughs> put a pin in that, put a pin in that. Okay. So Wolverine's also having these flashbacks about, uh, the, when he brought, when, when Sabretooth killed Silver Fox essentially, and Sabretooth has been riding him this whole time and so this isn't the first time they meet and they kind they they kind of know each other. We don't know why they're both up in Canada, wherever it is, somewhere in, in the winter uh, mountain area, wherever it took place in the movie. That's fine. Okay. But they start to fight and uh, there's a nice little kind of moment where Wolverine says, or uh, Sabretooth says to Wolverine, you fight me, it's going to go on forever. Whereas you fight those other guys, you fight until it ends. And that's kind of, I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. That's, that's the way I read it this time, which was different than I'd always had read it as a child. Hmm. I don't know if I made much sense out of this as a child because, uh, I probably read these a lot faster. Yeah, probably. And I didn't realize the saber tooth was a big deal. Yeah. This was like probably my fourth issue of Wolverine. Didn't know much about the character. Sure. Sure. So he continues walking around Saber uh, Madripoor. Uh, he saves a woman and her sailor husband from getting uh, killed by some uh, thugs, Madriporian thugs. And uh, he takes those people to a brothel to get fixed up. Discovers that uh, Jessica Drew and... Um, Lady McCabe, whatever her name is, Lindsay McCabe, I think her name is, mm-hmm. are now living in Madripoor. So that means they're going to be regular characters in Wolverine, except that they're not. 
Are they both brothel women? No, no. Jessica Drew is Spider Woman. Well, yeah, I know that, but so she—they're living upstairs above the brothel. Oh, okay. Lindsay McCaig is just the girl that we met in Uncanny X-Men, whatever. Yep. When they were in San Francisco. Yep. Um, I think they're in the next six issues, but then I think they're gone mm. from Wolverine. But like, this is the last Chris Claremont issue until I think like issue one forty six or something like that. Wow. He takes a break. Sure. A long break from Wolverine. It's like I've had it. He takes He's a telling long this story. He takes a long break from X Men too, but he comes back for a little while. He comes back a couple times. Does he? Yeah. Hmm. So uh, Wolverine gets the crap beaten out of him by Sabretooth. Um, Wolverine has to run away because it's for the first time. This is in the past again. Uh, First time Wolverine can't stand up to somebody. And uh, he almost dies because, oh, he actually says something about, there's a couple, there's a couple of interesting things he says. I think this is the first time he says, uh, no unbreakable adamantium reinforced bones and no claws. Ah, that was the thing that I was trying to remember where it was. I was as close to a human as I ever came. Yeah. The other interesting thing that he says is, let's see if I can find it. Did they even bother to retcon that or were they just like, that never happened? Which part? This issue. Well, the, no, no, the, none, no, of the, none of this gets retconned. Well, the no claws, that he definitely has claws. They explain that. That he didn't know he had them? Yes. Ah, uh, of course. So I guess, I guess you could call that a retcon. Yeah, okay. But I mean, it's, at least it's not like, eh, forget about that stuff we wrote. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is like a hardcore part of Wolverine's story. This never goes away. Okay. This, this is like super important in the, this is what, the whole reason that Silver Fox is in the movie is because of this issue. Okay. Um, well, I can't find it, but at some point he, he at some point in this issue he does say "scoot." <laughs> Perfect. And I was pretty excited by that, and I think he actually says it twice. And I was like, "Yeah, Chris Claremont bringing back Scoot." But does he say "futzer"? He doesn't say "futzer." I was <clears throat> looking for it, but he does say "scoot," so he do, he says it twice. So I feel I feel I feel pretty good about that. Oh, saber tooth, you futzer, scoot. <laughs> Um, for some reason, Wolverine decides because he's a man, I guess that he needs to climb a mountain, um, to prove that he's not dying. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, Sabretooth is there and then they fight and then they talk about how, uh, everybody in Madriport knows that this 24 hour period is Wolverine's birthday, which is interesting. I'm not sure how they would have figured that out because we don't know how old Wolverine is yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's Wolverine's birthday and this is the first Sabretooth and Wolverine birthday. So this is the first time that they're fighting on his birthday. Uh, Sabretooth guts Wolverine and pretty much takes him down. Um, and at the last second, Wolverine jumps off a cliff, uh, taking Sabretooth with him, I guess with the intent that he's going to kill him. Sabretooth says, time to teach the final lesson and tear out your throat, same as I did your sweethearts. Hope your blood tastes as sweet. That's when Wolverine knocks him off the cliff. Meanwhile, back in Madripoor, some of the thugs that Wolverine attacked earlier show up in like a, uh, some sort of car. Uh, they're both named Daryl, which is dumb. I'm sure it's like a reference to Daryl and his other brother, Daryl. Yeah. But 
whatever. Um, and they use a flamethrower and knock Wolverine off of the pier. And then somebody mysterious, Sabretooth, shows up behind them. And then when Wolverine gets out of the water, uh, Jessica Drew helps him out of the water and he goes back to the princess bar and their car is in front of the princess bar. And uh, it's, it's Cadillac. And Wolverine realizes that, oh, they're in there. And he busts into the busts into the princess bar through the window. And they're there with bows tied around their throats, assuming that their throats are torn out. And he has a note from Sabretooth that says, nobody kills me but you. Or nobody kills you but me. That would be backwards. That would be weird. Nobody kills you but me, especially today. Mm. Earlier it says, uh, very good boy, figured to take you out with me. But you missed. Shame it had to end like this. But then, given who you are, what other ending could there be? Right. What does that mean? Originally, I read in the Marvel Comics graphic, not not graphic novel, uh, the book that we talk about, supposedly Chris Claremont's original plan was that Sabretooth was Wolverine's father. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've discussed that before. I think there's a, I mean, spoilers. I think there's an issue of Wolverine in a while where Sabretooth's like, I'm your daddy. But then I feel like they're like, no, not really. Just kidding. No. Yeah. That's when Larry Hammer takes over, they do the whole like Sabretooth. I'm your ever loving daddy dearest. And yeah. then the next issue, it's like, no, I'm not. I was <laughs> just messing with your head. <laughs> so originally, yeah, it was going to be that Sabretooth was his father. They changed that uh, for whatever reason. For the better, I think. Probably. It's a little, little, little too cliche. And then when they did the origin thing, Sabretooth is in origin two, but he's not in origin one, but there's another Wolverine has another brother named dog or something like that. It's like a half brother. And I thought that was Sabretooth, but then in origin two, it wasn't. Oh, okay. I never, I don't think I read origin two. It's uh, not memorable. I can't actually remember anything that happens in it, except that it has the first appearance of Sabretooth. Hmm. I put Daredevil 269 on the issue, but I'm not really going to talk about it. For some reason, Daredevil's walking around. He's He needs some time to himself. He goes into a town and he fights the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, uh, Blob and uh, Fire Guy. Pyro. Uh, Pyro, thank you. Yep. Um, that's, that happens. This is an interesting issue. Uh, I mean, if you're a completionist, you got to read it because it does include the Blob and Pyro and Spiral. And Spiral's like... You got to go find this mutant and have a register. Bye. And she leaves. And Blob and, <laughs> and Pyro were like, oh, that girl's hot. We're going to get drunk. And then she's going to be my girl. And then they argue about whose girl it's going to be. And then, yeah, Daredevil shows up and he's Matt Murdock and he's buying them all shots. He's like, oh, these Freedom Force people, they're bad news. I'm going to get them all drunk. Then I'm going to fight them. And then like a really bad fight occurs with Daredevil, Blob and Pyro. And this girl, it's not a good issue, but <laughs> it's not the greatest issue. Um, but it is, it is a part of the Anacenti John Romita Jr. run, which is really good. Okay. But occasionally diverts into this kind of territory where they're, it's, it's kind of a, what you would call a filler, I guess. Yeah. It's in, be in between stories. I'm not sure if that girl is a prominent character in the Daredevil universe. And I don't care. But at the end of this she, issue, <laughs> Spiral shows up and she's like, oh, you guys blew it. Okay, I'm teleporting you out. And that's it. And the whole time I'm reading it, it's like, I feel like Spiral could just show up and be like, little man, Daredevil, Matt Murdock, 
I know who you are. You stay right there. And my magic will hold you in place. Possibly. And or she would be like, I don't care. I'm an alien. I don't care about this mutant reg- registration thing. I'm an I'm an alien who works for an another alien movie producer. And I seem to have unlimited power. I don't care about the mutant registration act. And I don't think she does. I, I think that's part of the thing is that she shows up and drops Blob and Pyro off there because she doesn't care. But she's only doing it because she's part of Freedom Force right now. And that's her her deal. And I guess Freedom Force is rounding up mutants as part of the Mutant Registration Act. So she drops them off and just doesn't care. Yeah. It's like, whatever. You guys do this. I'll drop you off. Hurry up. So there you go. It was an interesting issue. Was, I like I like I like the art. Yeah, the it's, not, it, it, it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely not in the storyline that is happening in Daredevil right now. It's kind of in between. Okay, yeah, and and uh, Daredevil gives off this um, uh, Bill Bixby in the Incredible Hulk vibe, where he's walking into town with his backpack. Yeah, all it's, incognito. It's very much that. Okay, so he's on the run. He he had a he had a tough break in New York and he's decided he doesn't want to he doesn't want to do anything right now so he's doing the Bill Bixby. Okay. Do 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 do. Yeah, man. Marvel Comics presents number thirty one concludes our Havoc and Wolverine story, um, where it turns out that Leela O'Toole, who is Plasma, is the niece of the Living Pharaoh. Dun dun dun. Um, and then we get a whole flashback of the the entire series from her perspective and um, how she was able to track Havoc, seeing as like the whole X-Men aren't able to be found by computers or anything like that. She's able to track him by the subtle connection of anybody related to the Living Pharaoh and Havoc. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um for some reason, she it, it, this whole story doesn't make sense, or just this issue, because she she basically has Alex to the point where he loves her, and she loves him back. She even says, I don't want to hurt you. I may even love you. Do not deny me. I need your power. So the power gets to her, and she just like wants to control Havoc, even though when they were like sort of a couple, they totally could have just like worked together. And that would have satisfied all her needs. But like classic villains, the power gets to her and she's like, you have to give me all your power. You must fill me up with your plasma bolts. And he's like, no, I won't do it. And then Wolverine shows up and says, hey, let's get out of here. And um, and he punches her out. Uh, Havoc punches her out. That's exactly what you deserve, lady, he says as they walk away. And I swear that you're the last woman that will ever use me again. Yep. yep that's what happens and then there's another story in this of Excalibur I didn't read this it looked fun but it had a lot of words so it's pretty it is fun Uh, if you go into the epic collection Excalibur um, it says if I can find it the serial in Marvel Comics for 31 to 38 takes place well into the future between Excalibur 34 and 35. Whoa. So. We should save it. Nah, let's just do it. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't, <laughs> I, don't, really, I, don't, I didn't really read it. All I know is that like they're watching TV and then cartoon characters appear. They're not even watching TV. It's like a computer. Uh, 
basically the Looney Tunes come out of the computer and fight and beat the and fight and beat Excalibur. And that's that's the whole first issue. Like these these are like eight issues, eight pages long. So they all kind of introduce themselves. They're all basically Looney Tunes and variants of the Looney Tunes. Um, you got your Daffy Duck, your Bugs Bunny, your Porky Pig, your Yosemite Sam, uh, your Roadrunner. And that's oh, and your uh, uh, Foghorn Leghorn. Yes. But they're like superhero versions of it. And they have wacky superhero powers and they easily best Excalibur. Yes. Um, what at I the very at the very end, there's a character called that people keep calling a Joker, and in the shadows, he looks like the Joker from Batman. Um, I don't think he's the Joker from Batman, but I don't know what's going on with that. He's laughing. That's what I was wondering: is is it the Joker from Batman, or is it Mojo? I bet you it's Mojo. I bet it's neither. Oh, but it could be Mojo. Um, I don't know one way or the other, and I didn't look ahead. The only reason I yeah. say that is because it has that kind of classic Alan Davis giant mojo grin, but that also could be somebody's interpretation of the Joker's toothy This grin. is uh, your your favorite artist, Eric Larson. It is. And, you know, I, I, I make I, – I, I make – I don't know if I make fun. I've said before that I don't like Eric Larson's artwork – I might actually be coming around because what I have learned is that he has a distinctive style. You can tell an Eric Larson from a mile away. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that's not a bad thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Gesundheit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like Eric Larson kind of doing Alan Davis, but mostly doing Eric Larson. Uh, yeah, he, he seems to like when he takes over Spider-Man from McFarlane, he kind of does McFarlane, but it's clearly still Larson. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. That's his, that's his thing is he kind of apes people, but he also is unique. This is what it would look like if Eric Larson drew it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, anyways, that's it. That's it, man. Uh, I wonder if they had all of those Excalibur issues plotted out. Or if they just wrote the series to catch up to the Marvel Comics Presents. That was a good, that's a good question because the, um, that widget is now a member of the team yeah. in that, in that Marvel Comics Presents. And uh, if it's released like roughly at the same time, um, I said, I think it was released, it said issue 13. So we'll have to see if in issue 13, if he's a member of the team or if that's kind of a spoiler for people reading Excalibur at the time. Well, that's what oh, I was, man. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know about it taking place in the thirties, but that's what I was wondering is, oh, like, is this what happens after the whole Nazi storyline is now widgets a member of the team, but we're just it getting could, to see it now because this is when this issue was released. I feel like it's more of a situation of this is a story that doesn't take place anywhere. Let's shove it here. Oh, that could be. Where they took a break. It makes sense here. That let's, makes sense. We'll put it here. Gotcha. We just wanted to tell this weird, wacky story. It doesn't really matter what where it takes place. Like like pretty much all of the Marvel Comics Presents don't seem to really matter where they take place. Um, and, and as you say, some of them don't seem to count for anything. Sure. So. Yep. All right, then. That, that's my take. Well, Adam, that's all I've got. Did you ask me to watch... So a while ago, you asked me to watch The Dead Don't Die. And I watched it. And I was wondering if you wanted me to watch it because of the the last Tilda Swinton scene. 
What's the last Tilda Swinton scene? She goes into the graveyard and she leaves. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but it's a major spoiler. Oh, I don't think so. But now you've got me wanting to rewatch the scene. The reason that I thought you were talking, wanted me to see it because of that scene is because it's very similar to one of our old timey movies that we used to make. Oh, you remember, uh, what was it? The one where we did all the craft work stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. The junkyard the, thing. The junkyard. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Acid trip. That's what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. And so so the story is that we are going, Jeremy, myself, and our friend Drew are going out into the woods to sur- to be a survivor. I don't know. Why, why are we being survivors? We needed, We're camping out in the woods. We needed a plot device to get us out to this junkyard that happened to be in my backyard of a house that I had just moved into. That's the real life backstory. So then I feel we, like we started the movie without knowing that the junkyard was there, and then we just moved to the junkyard when we found it, like in the middle of the movie. No, no, no. I knew it was there. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I didn't. I knew. You may not have, <laughs> but I knew it was there, and I was- So, like, at some point in the movie, I leave in a similar way to Tilda Swinton, and I just thought it- Because it it's zany. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and, you know what? No, that's not why I asked you to watch it, but- or maybe it is. I don't remember. But I, I that I definitely got the same vibe. I was like, hey, wait a minute. We did that. It's just, it's sort of random and it makes no sense. But at the same time, it's the same kind of vibe that we did, which I thought was like, oh, I wonder if this is why he wanted me to watch this. Uh, and the reason that we did it was because we needed you to be the camera holder. Probably. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I wanted to do it because I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You wanted to do it because it was funny. And I think it worked out. I was like, well, we need a cameraman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, Drew, I think, was dead. So he was the cameraman. Nah, he was off looking for magic mushrooms. But then we needed to bring him back. So he killed you. Well, no, no, no. We didn't kill he, you. No, he, he would. So, so my, <laughs> so my leg broke. Yes. And he was supposed to help me, but he went off looking for magic mushrooms and then you kill him for some reason. Oh, I kill him because he's being irresponsible. Right. That's right. right. I did kill him. And then you do your thing. And then I meet another character who's played by, well, played by Drew. Drew as well. At the junkyard. So, folks, what I think all the folks uh, listening to the podcast right now are basically just hearing uh, oh, un- all turned it off. Un- unintelligible gibberish. But I feel like there's a Patreon level where this movie is digitally encoded and uploaded somewhere for folks to watch. Oh, my God. I don't know if anybody would want to see that. But I'm I'm game. <laughs> well, we've Probably talked to get permission for Drew. Uh, well, we can we can blur out his head. <laughs> Nobody will recognize him. We were all 16. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, folks. Home movies from 30 years ago. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're something. Yeah, they are something. Okay. They're they're moving pictures with sound. You know, here's what I say. If 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 you know myself or Jeremy, then they're interesting. If mm-hmm. you don't, they're not interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Like we had good production value with that junkyard. Yeah, no. We 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 had some good stuff. We had special effects. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a little boring to get you there, but you know, once you're there it's kind of fun. I think that was probably one of our best. Yeah. Yeah. Production value. It's everything. <laughs> <laughs> I got a junkyard. Let's make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go, folks. So next... Why did you want me to watch The Dead Don't Die? I don't know, because it's a 
fun, weird Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. Oh, okay. I don't know. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. It was a fun, weird Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. I mean, a lot of people hated it. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, they were expecting a zombie movie. They were either well, expecting like... Uh, uh, what's... These are people that have never seen a Jim Jarmusch film before, yeah, probably. They were, yeah. they were expecting um, Zombieland. Okay. Uh, or Because it has Bill Murray. Yeah. Spoilers. Well, and the trailer makes it kind of look wacky and off, offbeat. Which it was. Oh, it totally was. But I think it was the trailer. The trailer is very accurate. Far more wacky and far more offbeat than, than the tra- well, it was great. I liked it. I liked it a lot. A lot of people did not like it. A lot of people I, thought I read a bunch of reviews. They're like Jim Jarmusch has lost his touch. Oh, and well, I was that's, like, that's I was interesting. Like, I was like, no, I don't know. Like I haven't seen a Jim Jarmusch movie in a while, but yeah. his touch is pretty much the same. I've always, I've always thought Ghost Dog is my favorite one. I don't know if I've seen Ghost Dog. Oh, you should see it. It's the best one. Okay. Well, I'll check it out. It's your homework. Okay. doesn't have Tilda Swinton in it. That's okay. <laughs> All right, Adam. Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. The Danger Room is closed. We got